from Los Angeles, California. This is the Writer's Strike Chronicles, and I'm Tanya Barnes. Hello, everybody. Today is Sunday, February 3rd, 2008, day 92 of the Writer's Strike. In today's episode, I talk with writer Brooks Wachtel and Chip Prozer from the picket line on the WGA SAG Unity Day event in front of Fox Studios. Now, before we begin, I want to tell you a story about something that happens in Hollywood. As many of you listeners know, this past week I've been booked doing background on a commercial. The job shot several days in a row and wrapped about three in the morning each day. And it's because of the schedule that the release of the podcast has been disrupted, so I want to thank all my listeners for their patience. I want to start this story with a basic primer about the hierarchy on set because I know that many of my listeners are not in the entertainment industry. On a typical film set, the people that actually bring a production to the screen are known as cast and crew. But let's define it even further. There are people on production known as above the line. And then there are those who are referred to as below the line. Now, above the line folks are people like the producer, the director, and oftentimes big name stars, and occasionally an A-list writer. But as some of you who've been listening know, the latter is not always the case. The term below the line refers to those people on the production like the grips, electricians, makeup artists, wardrobe stylists, catering, craft services, etc., 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 okay? Now, ostensibly, these terms above the line and below the line merely refer only to the production costs of the project, but they can also refer to an unspoken class system within the industry. Let me explain. First, you have cast and crew, okay? You have above the line and below the line. And then you have what's called the background artist, which is another word for extra. And hello, everybody. Now we're talking about somebody like me. Even then, there's still more classification between union background, SAG background, and non-union background. And here's where it gets interesting. Non-union extras are the lowest person on the pay scale, earning about $60 for an eight-hour day, or $7.50 an hour, which in the state of California is below the minimum wage, okay? Now, on this particular job that I just recently did, the pay was slightly better for non-union background. It was $115 for eight hours, or about $14.38 per hour. And this I know because I heard it for myself. It was repeated at least twice, if not three times, on the voicemail line when I called in to get the details about my job. So, now, on the first day of the shoot, about two hours into it, an announcement was made on the bullhorn by a production person that the pay for non-union background was wrong, that everyone had been misinformed, and that those who were working would receive $115 for 10 hours of work. This didn't seem fair to me because these people had been booked on this job being told that they were going to make a certain amount only to discover that they would be making less. This also meant that when the production went into overtime, and it did, that overtime pay would not begin until after 10 hours of work and not 8. Now, I want to clarify that I am a SAG background artist, so this kind of bullshit wouldn't happen to me because I am protected by my guild, and there are terms in place for wages and overtime and things like that. So when the announcement was made, some of the non-union people were pretty upset. And when I asked a woman about it, she said, well, 
it's not fair, but at least the pay is better than most jobs. And though that's true, the sad thing is, these extras couldn't even file a complaint because, like, whom would they file it to? The production company? The booking agency? I mean, it's not like they can take a grievance to a union or a representational body, right? Okay, so you see what's happening here? So later on, about six hours into the production, we broke for lunch. For my listeners who've never been on set, it's typical for meals to be catered, especially when you're on location. And it's usual and customary for cast and crew members to eat first because they're the ones that need to be back on set and ready to work the minute that lunch is over. So after cast and crew had lined up and received their meals, the background artists, both non-union and union, were allowed to line up to eat. Now let me set this up. In the dining room, there are eight rows of tables, with each row consisting of about six banquet tables each, or room for, I'd say, 48 to about 50 people per row. And as I sat down to eat my meal, somebody in the production told me that I couldn't sit there, that these tables were for cast and crew only. And so I found another place to sit. But this person quite ferociously, quite vehemently protected that row of tables from allowing anybody but cast and crew to eat their meal. This person would first shout to anybody who sat down who wasn't cast and crew. She would say, these tables are for cast and crew only. Then, if you didn't hear her, she would get up and tell you to your face. So as cast and crew began to fill up the tables, suddenly... There was no more places for background artists to eat, except on the floor. As things turned out, I ended up sitting with some of the principal actors on the job. These are the stars. These are the people you actually see in front of the camera. These are the people with lines, okay? And one of the principal actors seemed really confused. And so I asked him how it made him feel to be ostracized like this. And he said, well, it kind of takes away my humanity. And then he went on to say that he had no idea that this kind of stuff went on. And I said, well, that's because you're a principal. He doesn't do background work. And so this is the thing. This is what I'm talking about. There's a class system in place in Hollywood where outright displays of discrimination like what I just described occur. And it really makes me upset because now all this talk about union is union, we're all in this together, and my show, my personal show of solidarity for the writers is negated full stop. I mean, I'm getting almost daily emails from SAG saying that the WGA fight is our fight, and I think that's true. But how can solidarity truly mean anything if solidarity means cast and crew only. I mean, why am I busting my ass every day on the picket lines producing a daily podcast giving voice to my brothers and sisters on the line? Why do I pay costly dues to a union when I'm treated as less than a dog on the set? Why in this day and age? Now, some people say, well, it doesn't happen that often, but I call bullshit Because to minimize this sort of treatment is doing a disservice to humanity. It doesn't matter that it doesn't happen that often. That's weak. It does happen. It's sometimes even uglier than the story I just told you. And moreover, it shouldn't be happening at all. This is the 21st century. 
This is the age of information. The fact that it happens at all is simply morally wrong. The following few days of production, instead of this woman barking at people that these tables were for cast and crew only, there were then signs placed over the tables saying these tables were for cast and crew only. And you might as well have put a sign that said color folks over here and white folks over there, okay? I mean, for those of you that were born after the 60s, let me just say, segregation was outlawed 40 years ago in 1968. 1968. This is now 2008, okay? This display of prejudice and discrimination is conduct unbecoming in the workplace. It is conduct unbecoming of those who like to think of themselves as professionals in the entertainment industry. This kind of mentality creates a hostile work environment where people who are supposed to be working together, who are all in this together, who are all fighting to be treated fairly, this kind of mentality pushes people apart. It rejects and humiliates people who are poor, people who are powerless, people who are struggling to make ends meet, and people who have no voice. It begs the question, why are non-union people on a union production? Why aren't these people protected by fair labor practices? Why does this situation even exist in Hollywood, a so-called union town? This is the United States of America. This isn't China. We're not Walmart. We're not News Corp, okay? I know some of you may say that I don't understand the business, and that's right. You'll also tell me to keep my mouth shut. Well, I don't understand the business, but I will not keep my mouth shut. Because the internet, this realm of new media is my media and it's your media. And as far as I know, despite the current administration, as far as I know, I still live in a democracy. So yeah, I may not understand the business, but I do understand this one thing. People is people. I think in the workplace, people should be treated with dignity and respect. And it doesn't matter whether you're black, and it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish, and it doesn't matter whether you're gay, and it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter what your job title is. People is people, and they should be treated with dignity and respect. It's that simple. Okay, thanks for listening as I stand on my soapbox. Let's move on with today's episode. We'll begin with a conversation I had with writer Brooks Wachtel from the picket line on the WGA SAG Unity picketing event held last week in front of Fox Studios. Let's roll sound. (laughs) All right, let's uh, establish a shot. Slate, who you are, why we're here. Brooks Wachtel, Writers Guild member, and I'm here to support my union. Okay, now, um, as I was introduced to you, I was told uh, there's a lot of things you do. Can you elaborate on them? Um, like the fact that you're a magician and all that kind of stuff, and that you're an animation writer. So that makes you a double geek, I guess? A double word geek? Or? Well, I, I certainly hope not. And I wouldn't say I'm an animation writer. Oh, okay. I'm a writer, and one of the things I write is animation. Okay. We aren't crazy about labels. I think writers are writers, and many of us will work throughout our careers in a variety of venues. Okay. What got you in the Guild? What got me in the Guild was a show called Young Hercules. 
What, what was that? Young Hercules was a spin-off from Xena and Hercules. It was a live-action show, and and I wrote episodes for it. Okay. Also wrote. Let's see. I wrote a uh, feature animated cartoon that's still being produced that was under Gill coverage, and uh, well, that's what got me in the Guild. Though. How like long that. have you been in the Guild? I've been a Guild member about four years. I've been working with the Guild 13 through the Animation Writers Caucus. I'm on the steering committee, and our goal is to bring animation writing, or a great deal of it, under Guild auspices. Now, I heard that it was taken off the table. Is that right? What was taken off the table was exclusionary language in the MBA that has been there probably since the 40s. We've actually been organizing animation, all the primetime animation shows like The Simpsons, Futurama have almost exclusively and long-term guild shows. And, (coughs) excuse me, we're trying to (laughs) we are trying to sign up more daytime shows. But the organizing of animation and reality will go on, even though they've been taken off the negotiating table. Why is animation like the bastard child? Animation is a tough one to organize because there's already a union that represents a great deal of it. It's an IA union, Local 839, recently called the Animation Guild. And that's because when unionization was happening uh, generations ago, cartoons weren't primarily written. They were seven-minute theatrical shorts. They were storyboarded out by gag men. Later on, with shows like The Flintstones, cartoons started to be written like any other film show. And... By then, the damage was already done. We weren't in the Writers Guild. It has been something that we're trying to correct. It's a great injustice because animation does not pay residuals, does not have back-end, does not have script arbitration, does not have secondary character uses. In fact, it doesn't have much at all, except it's a joy to write. Oh, cool. And and nothing, nothing has the shelf life of animation. Let's put it this way. There's probably not that many 60 sitcoms running. But the, the Flintstones still are. Right. That's cool. Why is it so much fun to write? Because you can just write just about anything. You can let your imagination go. Sometimes, uh, and I've written everything from uh, uh, soft preschool shows like Clifford the Big Red Dog to hard action shows like Spider-Man and X-Men to historical shows like Liberty's Kids to adult primetime shows like The Legend of Prince Valiant. And that's a tremendous stretch of different types, different styles, different age ranges. It just allows you to really expand as a writer. What was your first cartoon you ever saw? Do you remember? Or animated piece? The first cartoon I ever saw? Your animated film. I, I couldn't remember. I was probably two, plopped down in front of the television, and it was my babysitter. <laughs> it was probably a Bugs Bunny or a Popeye. Do you have a favorite animated show growing up? Lots of them. But um, when it became a profession, I looked at it in a whole different way. And animation, of course, is part of what I do. I also work in fiction and documentaries. And documentaries, shows like uh, networks like the History Channel, the Learning Channel, all of Discovery, all of them need far, far more Writers Guild coverage. Tell me about the History Channel. Well, I'm the co-creator and co-exec producer of a show called Dog Fights. We're covered by the WGA. It's a terrific show. We recreate classic air combat using computer animation. Uh, See, I can't get out of animation, even in documentaries. (laughs) But um, it was a tremendous hit for the History Channel. We're in our second season. 
And uh, it's, I've, I've met some fascinating and heroic people through that show. Original Flying Tigers, just amazing people. How'd you come up with the idea? I actually didn't. It came up, uh, it came up through some preschoolers. Oh, tell the story, please. My co-creator on the show, Cynthia Harrison, had a daughter that was at the Sam Goldwyn preschool. There was another young boy that had a crush on her, talking with her, the little boy's father, you know, what do you do, what do you do? He was a computer animator, and she says, well, I write documentaries with my partner, Brooks, and he said, well, I always wanted to do a documentary because I love fighter planes. Anyway, we put it together and made a presentation. The History Channel went for it. We did a two-hour special. And it got such high ratings that it became a series. And we insisted it be Writers Guild. How did you push that? (laughs) We just asked. And they just said yes? And they said yes. Was that easy? In this case, it was. Other cases aren't so easy. But in this case, they said yes. I think they realized it was a really hot concept. There was a way to be guild. And they went for it. Now, that's the individual production entity, not the network itself. Thanks for clarifying that. Have you created or plan on creating content for the Internet? I haven't created content for the Internet, but I certainly plan to. It is the future. This is a good part of what this strike is all about. And so I, I, can't, I can't imagine that myself and most of my fellow scribes will not be working on the Internet. Many shows that I've done have been on the Internet. They weren't created for the Internet, but they've already showed up there. Do you have in mind to keep your projects union, a union shop on the Internet? And if so, how? I would keep in mind that anything I do, I would like to see Writers Guild. And how? Any way you can. Okay. Here's my final question. Well, first of all, I have two questions. Um, any misconceptions, anything, any messages you want to say as we wrap this up? Any parting shots? I hope people aren't buying the corporate line that the Writers Guild is the heavy or the out of control or the wild card in the strike. We weren't the ones that walked away from the table. We were the ones that were sitting there ready to negotiate. And as has been pointed out, Everything we're asking for for three years would amount to less than one year's salary for the CEOs of the corporations we're fighting with. My final question is, legacy notwithstanding, for writers, what is the more powerful invention, the Internet or the printing press? Legacy notwithstanding. The printing press, because everything grew out of that. That's what I mean, legacy notwithstanding. That's a tough one. Right now, I'd still say the printing press. But in the future, I don't know. The Internet may be the printing press of the future. Right now, though, I think there are more people in the world still reading on paper. Whether that will change or not, my crystal ball is cloudy. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. You're more than welcome. That was Brooks Wachtel from the Picket Lines on the WGA SAG Unity Picketing event held last week in front of Fox Studios. Coming up is Chip Prozer, who in addition to being a writer, is also making little short videos on behalf of the Writers Guild, and he's putting them up on YouTube under the username WGA America. It's through these videos that I actually learned the issues of the writers' cause, and uh, Basically, it's his work that compelled me and influenced me to take on this podcast. So let's listen to what Chip had to say. I'm at the strike lines with... Chip Prozer. Can you tell me what your project is that you've been doing for the WGA? 
project for what? I'm sorry. What's the project you've been doing for the WGA? I've been shooting for Writers Guild, and I've been shooting for United Hollywood, and now I'm doing a couple of shows for the new Strike TV. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So I've been uh, running the film crews, getting guys to volunteer to be cameramen and soundmen and editors and so forth, crew. And then when we go out and we have a big rally, I help set up the stuff, make sure that the actual real news crews have what they need to get the shot. Do you have a background in news? I used to be a news cameraman before I was uh, captured by gypsies and stained with Beetlejuice and dragged into the forest and forced to become a screenwriter. But I resisted becoming a screenwriter because it isn't much fun. What got you in the guild? I wrote a script that got sold for a million dollars and that put me in the guild. Oh, has it, has it been made? No, it will never be made. It's stuck at Paramount for 27 years now. How does that feel? I don't like it. I don't like it a lot. So that's why I quit being a writer. And I've wrote a couple, written a couple other things that have gotten made. Are you still in the guild now? Oh, yeah. I'm uh, actually retired, which is better than being out of work. How's it? Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> it's a different category. But I do write. I just did a documentary feature called Gaia Celine, Saving the Earth by Colonizing the Moon. And before that, I did a documentary series called Secrets of War. And... Uh, uh, sworn to secrecy, and before that, I did a major rewrite on Top Gun and Iceman and Inner Space. Wow, so you actually, wow, you're quite prolific, and plus, how often are you producing these shows for the WGA? Usually, we try to get something on every day for the WGA or United Hollywood. Usually, it goes up on United Hollywood faster because we don't have to go and uh, go through the vetting of uh, WGA. What's your experience with new media prior to this? I've been working in it for like 10 years. I have a website with a lot of material about uh, colonizing the moon and colonizing space, colonizing the cislunar space, helium-3 for fusion fuel from the moon, space solar power, which is big now, and then lunar solar power, which we will get from the lunar regolith when we colonize the moon. Okay, and what's your website? It's called Moon Colony TV. Cool. Take me back to why we're here today. What's going on today? This is uh, SAG and WGA together. It's a solidarity meeting that we both get to march together and see how much more attractive the SAG people are than the writers. <laughs> okay. Because you're documenting the event as much as I am, what kind of um, misconceptions or rumors or anything you want, would want to clarify about the strike? I don't think, and a lot of us don't think, that there should be any free rides on the Internet because the Internet is... It's not new media, it's now media. There shouldn't be any moments when uh, they get a free download because my kids can download in 17 seconds anything that anybody puts up there. So when they say, when they make a deal for 17 days or 24 days of free promotional play, that just means that it gives everybody every chance to download every project there is. That means the end of residuals as we know it. And as you know, residuals are what we live on. It's something we can't live on. If they insist on it, we'll just all make our own shows directly for the Internet. Which is what you're doing right now. That's what we're doing right now. We're doing Strike TV, which right now we have 50 projects the writers are doing on their own, which they will own, and which they will own the copyright. And they will will go for sponsorship directly and product placement directly. And the best thing is we don't have to have any meeting with film executives. So that brings me to the question, what do you need a union for? 
everybody needs a union because without unions you're not organized and without organization the people with the money and power who are organized and do have hundreds of writers beyond these I'm sorry, hundreds of lawyers and accountants uh, whose only job is to make sure you never see any of your profits. Without organization, we can't stand up to them. So that all creative people have to be organized and all workers. It's a big problem this, in this country right now is uh, the attacks on the union and the middle class throughout the country. This is just part of it possibly the more visual part because we are writers and producers and directors. You can tell the story. Yes. Yeah. In your free time, do you download or stream any new media? I watch it and I download stuff that's for free, yes. What are you watching? Just curious. I'm watching a, I, I watched a British uh, thing about uh, atheism. <laughs> it's about a four-part series, it's excellent. I also watch the Google Talks. Okay. which have a lot of interesting scientists. Yeah, I've been to a few actually, yeah. Yeah, and then I download my stuff just to see how it looks. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I listen to all my episodes just to make sure it's working. Great. As we wrap this up, I have a question. Um, sure. Legacy notwithstanding, standalone technology, what is a more powerful invention, the Internet or the printing press? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. The printing press still was controlled by a relatively few number of people. The Internet is much more powerful, and the Internet combined with the new cameras and the new video is much more powerful because it finally takes it to the people. So, if, is it fair to say that the printing press was one to many and the Internet is many to many? All right. I would say that's very fair to say. Thank you for saying it. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify that. All right. Um, thank you so much for your time. I really thank appreciate you. it. Anytime. Thanks. You have been listening to the Rider Strike Chronicle podcast, available for free through iTunes. For more information, visit us at www.strikechronicles.com. To contact us, please call 310-439-8754 or send us an email at info at strikechronicles.com.